Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me as always, my sidekick and my buddy, and uh, the man who was the choreographer for the movie Flashdance, Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing? You know, I believe several weeks ago you made reference to me being also choreographing Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo. Uh, <laughs> I had a pretty good run there in the early 80s, but uh, ever since then, you know, since I discovered the joy of the whatchamacallit candy bar and other sorts of things, uh, I'm not as fleet on my feet as I used to be, let's say. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you, Deacon. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Ken, as always. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, uh, it's graduation season, uh, and obviously for you know colleges and and for grade schools and even kindergartens, they do they do graduations for now. Um, have you ever had to give a commencement speech or anything? Ever been invited to give a commencement speech or anything like that, Deacon? This is would seem to be the sort of thing right up your alley. No, I've not been invited to give a commencement address yet. Um, you know, maybe one of these years that, right. that'd be, that'd be really cool. I think. All right. Well then that's the, that's the challenge that I issue to our listeners. If you're in education and you need a dynamic pre presenter for your, uh, for your commencement speech, there's nobody like the dynamic Deacon, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. So that, there's my plug for you, Deacon. Oh, well, thank you, Ken. <laughs> what, you. what advice would you give somebody graduating? Especially think about it, you know, we talk so much about the importance of Catholic education. And of course, I mean, I work at the University of Notre Dame. You and I met at the University of Portland. We're both ourselves graduates of, you know, of Catholic institutions, both both at the grade school level, the high school level and college. So we've had the whole breadth of Catholic educational experience. Now, I think you and I turned out relatively well. I mean, we seem to be, you know, faithful type Catholics. Uh, I mean, we we're we pray, we have families, these sorts of things. What advice would you give to a graduate? I know and I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot and you can't just give me platitudes, but what would you say to graduates, Deacon? Well, I'd say, especially now in these very challenging times, um, you know, to not be afraid to be the person who God created you to be. You know, so many times people want to play it safe you know, oh, I, you know, I'm an engineer, so I'll just get my engineering job and work my nine to five and da 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 and kind of live my life and just kind of put it in neutral, you know, in cruise control. But no, God calls us to greatness, you know, and we have to figure out how God wants to use us for his glory. And so I think the beauty in graduating during this time, uh, in this time of real slowdown, I think a, a time of extended contemplation about where, where I am in my life right now, um, what is God um, plan for how do I open myself more deeply to his will? Uh, and I think for graduates now, it's not like, hey, let's, okay, now that's over. Now I'm going on to my job or going to the next thing. I think they should maybe take a pause here and say, okay, I've completed this part of my life. Now I'm moving on to this next phase of my life. Maybe I'll be moving out of uh, my parents' house or maybe I may have to live there for a while. And, you know, I may not find a job right away because people aren't hiring. Okay. How am I going to use this time right now 
you know, and I, and I think that's really key and really important that they take time to truly reflect on the power, first of all, the power of God's love in their life um, and their connectedness to the to the Holy Spirit and to really spend some time in silence and in adoration and really think deeply and seriously about how they're going to use their gifts to glorify God and spend some real time in contemplation. And then when God speaks to their heart, to not be afraid to follow where God is leading them. Like he's the good shepherd and he, you know, he, he provides good pasture for his sheep, but we have to, to follow him. Right. Remember the sheep listen to his voice and they follow him. You know, it's interesting, you know, shepherds at the time of Jesus, you know, they, they, they were single men and they were in charge of a herd, but sometimes they would come together and the herd would all be mixed together. And like, well, well, how are they supposed to identify which sheep is whose? I mean, they can't brand them and anything like that, right? Because they got too much wool. So what they but what what happens is the sheep recognize the voice. So when the, the shepherd calls, those sheep who recognize his voice runs to the shepherd, and the other ones actually run away because that voice is unfamiliar to them. So what we need our young people to do today is to run toward the voice of the Lord and run away from the voice of the culture. <laughs> that yeah. says it's now that you have your degrees about money, it's about living your own life. No, it's about connecting yourself more deeply to God's will in your life. And the earlier you do that, the more God will be able to use your talents and gifts and to magnify his glory in the world. So that that's what I would say. Wow. Well, there it is. There's your commencement exercises on Living Stone. So, uh, Deacon Haraldberg Sivers, I confer upon you this honorary degree. <laughs> That's awesome. A little preview uh, for those of you who are right now furiously writing down Dynamic Deacon uh, Haraldberg Sivers. Just go, What what is your website, by the way, just for reference point? Just deaconherald.com. Deaconherald.com. There you go. Awesome. Well, Deacon... It's a, a joy to be with you again tonight as we are continuing our conversation about Evangelium Vitae, Pope John Paul II's 1995 encyclical on the Gospel of Life. And uh, we've been chatting about this for a number of weeks. We're picking up our conversation tonight with paragraph 48 in the section entitled, All Who Hold Her Fast Will Live, From the Law of Sinai to the Gift of the Spirit. We kind of let off last week talking about the progressive understanding of God's relationship and how the the absolute prohibition, thou shalt not kill, given at, at Sinai in the Ten Commandments, becomes you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it's the same God, but it's our understanding and being prepared to understand fully that killing is is a negative commandment that grows into this positive commandment to love. And so that's where we pick up the conversation tonight. That's right. And um, in paragraph 48, it says, life is indelibly marked by a truth of its own. See, th there's that beauty of objective truth, you know, not a truth that I determine for myself, not a truth that follows the herd mentality of the culture, but, but life is marked by a truth in and of itself. And by accepting God's gift, John Paul continues, Man is obliged to maintain life in this truth, which is essential to it. See, so the connection of life is marked by fidelity to truth. And that's why I think we've completely gone astray in our culture today. Uh, when we separate 
truth from life, um, that's when we start to run into problems because then truth becomes whatever whatever I determine it to be. And right. then so people determine truth for themselves. And then instead of if unity and beauty, you have chaos and disorder. Well, and he goes on from there to express that the, the Ten Commandments themselves reveal what the meaning of the truth of life is. And uh, John Paul says that the word of the Lord shows concretely the course which life must follow if it is to respect its own truth and preserve its own dignity. Um, the commandments that we get and are ways of life. They are ways that show us that inner logic and that inner um, kind of responsibility that we have to both uh, both follow God's law and to help develop our communal relationship with one another as well. Um, as it says, God's commandment is offered as the path of life. As he tells us in Deuteronomy, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and statutes and ordinances, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you are entering to take possession of. This is from the book of Deuteronomy. This is the homily that Moses gives as the as the chosen people, as the Israelites who've received the law, are preparing to cross over into the land of Canaan. What does this tell us? This tells us that God is God wants to bless us. God wants to show his love in a very concrete way. And we respond to God's love in our own concrete actions as well. And I think that that's where what, you know, we, we hear this um, Moses speaking and saying, I'm setting before you life and death. Choose life is what he encourages us to do and what he, what he tells us to do. And that's the message that we keep needing to call one another back to as well. And our brothers and sisters who are outside the church, who are not in, you know, a loving relationship with God, who don't acknowledge God's sovereignty and God's power and God's loving embrace in their own lives. That's preaching the gospel. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's very interesting when you're reading that passage from Deuteronomy, it sounded to me a lot like David's words in 1 Kings chapter 2 when he's dying and his son Solomon is standing before him and he knows that Solomon is going to take over as the king of Israel. It almost exactly sounds just like Deuteronomy, which means that David himself was steeped in the law, that right. David himself followed the, the well, not perfectly because of Bathsheba, but, but followed right. for the most part the law of God. And, um, you know, he says as he's dying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And he says to Solomon, but he but just doesn't tell him to be a man. He says how he must be a man. Keep charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Why? That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. You know, yeah. so it's, it's very deuteronomic, you know, what uh, what he's passing on to his son there. Again, th this is what's so, I think, key about um, this section in quoting Deuteronomy and, and, and 1 Kings chapter 2 is that people feel that they don't want to follow laws, right? Because they, they don't want anybody to tell them what to do, that they feel that somehow 
law is imposed on them. It's just called heteronomy. In other words, it comes from the outside and imposes itself on my freedom. So law, to a lot of people in our culture, they restricts freedom, right? And so they don't want to follow the law. But, you know, so, but we do follow laws. I mean, think about it. When there's a stop, stop light, you stop at the stoplight because it's red. You right. know, when it's green, you go. I mean, we follow laws all the time. Because there's this misunderstanding to think that somehow law takes away my freedom. But it, what law is supposed to do is order the freedom toward the good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main thing that's missing um, that John Paul II brings out so beautifully in, in, this, in uh, this section that we're looking at today. St. Augustine has that same sort of insight, right, in which uh, he sa- he kind of points out that we have an inborn tendency when somebody tells us not to do something, all of a sudden the only thing we want to do is that thing that we were told not to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. and, and Paul, of course, you know, St. Paul provides that same, he's like, the thing I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do, I do. You yeah. know, so we we know this tendency within ourselves, and we have to struggle against that, because that is the the struggle against disobedience. What is it at the core of of you know the original sin, but disobedience? And so it's it's kind of part of us, but we can struggle against that, and we can overcome that tendency by relying on God. And John Paul goes on here to talk about you know uh, how it's the prophets in the Old Testament who are the ones who call us back to observance. They're the ones who say, you're beginning to stray. He says, when John Paul writes in paragraph 49, when the people look for ways of living which ignore God's plan, it is the prophets in particular who forcefully remind them that the Lord alone is the authentic source of life. And that's the call. Who are the prophets in our own day and age? Who are the people who are calling us back to acts of love? So often here on the show, as we've been reading through this, we've been talking about people like Mother Teresa. How did she act as a prophet and call us back to love? By actually modeling it, by doing it herself, by actually gathering people around her who ministered directly to those who were in need, those who were dying, those who were lonely, those who were, you know, had no dignity at all by showing them dignity. Her prophecy was to act. Other prophets that we we know in our day and age include John Paul II, who, as a prophet, actually called people. This encyclical here is a calling of God's people to actually fulfill the gospel of life and calling us back to the truth, to recognize it. There are many prophets in our day and age. We just need, and and maybe God's calling you to be a prophet. Maybe God's calling you to prophetically act with love and to be true to the gospel of life. That's where Gosh, if only I'd heard a recent commencement speech, maybe from a deacon, that encouraged me to reflect on what is God calling me to do in my life, right? These are the sorts of things that the Holy Father is talking about here in in this section as well. Yeah, that's a wonderful insight, Ken, because that also connects us to our baptismal call to holiness, because the charisms that we receive, along with the grace, the sanctifying grace of baptism, are, are priest, prophet, and king. We've got to remember when, when Ken is talking about prophet here, we're not talking about, well, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, but he's not talking about uh, someone who's predicting the future. That's not what a prophet is. 
a prophet is someone that God has called to speak the word of God to the people of God. That's what a prophet is. Right. And by our baptism, we are all called to be priest, prophet, and king. So this priesthood of all believers says that we're supposed to, and was the main job of priests to offer sacrifice. So our life is an offering, a sacrifice to God. Remember, it says uh, Hosea 6, verse 6, I want a loving heart more than sacrifice, knowledge of my ways more than holocaust. So it's the gift of our life, ourselves, in that priesthood. And then the, the prophet is to speak the truth. And, and Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 15, to, to speak the truth in love, right? But And not be afraid to do it. And that's what John Paul is talking about here. Not be afraid to boldly speak the truth in love when it comes to life, with issues of life. And quoting from Ezekiel, remember he says, I will give you, Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And he says, this new heart will make it possible to appreciate and achieve the deepest and most authentic meaning of life, namely that of being a gift, which is fully realized in the giving of self. Right. I love that. And the way I, 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 I phrase that in my talks is when you give yourself away in love is when you truly find yourself in God. And that's, that's, that's me. I mean, that's not, I didn't get that from right. anywhere. I, 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 I was praying about this in adoration and this, the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and in us and, and how um, it's not about give, it's not about us getting, but it's about giving. Um, and that's what John Paul's two talking about here. And this gets down to the, the most fundamental reality of being and existence is that gift of self, um, which I, it's absolutely beautiful. Well, and that's at the core, of course, of the of John Paul's great teaching on the uh, theology of the body is the total gift of self to another. And who is it that perfectly models the total gift of self to other? But Jesus Christ himself, right? It is in the coming of Jesus of Nazareth that the law is fulfilled and that a new heart is given through the Spirit. So John Paul is writing here uh, at the end of this paragraph 49 to say that Jesus does not deny the law, but he brings it to fulfillment. He fulfills also and brings to fulfillment all the prophets before him because he is the one who is able to both, he knows the law because he is the lawgiver. And he fulfills the law because he's the one who fulfills all righteousness, right? And so he's the one who can live the law, give us the model, but then also send the spirit to fill our hearts, to recreate the hearts within us so that we too can do what he does. And we too can be mediators of grace in our lives. And it's here where we begin then in paragraph 50, where we look upon the conflict of our time, which is the conflict between the culture of death and the culture of life. He says, today we find ourselves in the midst of this dramatic conflict between the culture of death and the culture of life, but the glory of the cross is not overcome by darkness. Rather, it shines forth ever more radiantly and brightly and is revealed as the center, meaning, and goal of all history and of every human life. Of course, we talked you know, we've read Pope John Paul II's, you know, encyclical Redemptor Hominis, uh, the Redeemer of Man, with which he inaugurated his entire pontificate, in which he points out that the cross stands at the center of human history. Everything before 
Jesus's incarnation. Everything before builds to the cross and everything since flows from it. And so that is why even our years are counted that way, right? Our years are from the incarnation. So we're in the year 2021. That's 2021 years of Christianity, of Christ being present to redeem the world. And so it's at the center of humankind. And it is by his death that Jesus sheds light on the meaning of the life and death of every human being, according to Pope John Paul II. Before he dies, Jesus prays to the Father, asking forgiveness for his persecutors. And to the criminal who asks him to remember him in his kingdom, he replies, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so as John Paul concludes, the salvation wrought by Jesus is the bestowal of life and resurrection. That's the center of our faith. That's the center of the gospel of life, because it is in Christ that we receive life. I mentioned, I think last week, that what I love about this pair, uh, about this whole chapter is we get Pope John Paul II preaching the gospel, reminding us of the great truths, why we gather, why we are a people of life. It is because Christ invites us. And that's what this whole section is all about. Yeah. And in fact, that reminds me of um, John the Baptist, you know, where he says, uh, Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. Right. And uh, it's, it's contemplation on the cross that helps us to do that. And so what has to increase? God's love in us, God's life in us, cooperating with the grace of the sacraments, cooperating with the grace of God's spirit working in us and dwelling in us. What must decrease? My attachment to sin, my uh, longing for self. Um, what has to decrease is everything that separates me from God's love. Right. You know, and that's the, the the key to fulfillment and joy and peace and blessedness and all the things that we're looking for in life. So it's not that God is trying to tell me what to do. God is trying to help me become who he created me to be. And that's what law helps us to do. And I've used this analogy before, like musicians, right? They they align themselves with the law of playing music, right? Of this, the notes have a certain order and a, a mathematical feel to them, you know, as a logic to it. And if you follow those rules, now you're able to fully express yourself through the instrument. And it's just like in our life, if we align ourselves with God's laws, then we're and then what happens? We become free. Not slaves. Right. It's actually the culture that that slaves is the freedom, so-called freedom of the culture where we become slaves. You know, and I was just reading in the office. Um, what was it yeah, last month? They were, they, the reading right before the ascension is are from uh, the first letter of John. And it says, you know, to turn away from the world, you know, <laughs> the, 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 you know to, to abandon the world and, and the way the world thinks and to focus on following God's law. You know, so we see this as a theme that's all through the scriptures, and John Paul II brings this out beautifully, especially in the right at the end of chapter two here. Oh, this is this is a particularly beautiful section because I mean you hinted at it. The it is through the sacraments that we actually ourselves are incorporated into the saving love of Christ. As he says. It is the life which through the sacraments of the church, symbolized by the blood and water flowing from Christ's side, is continually given to God's children, making them the people of the new covenant. From the cross, the source of life, the people of life is born and increases. 
it's upon it's when we contemplate the meaning of Christ's death on the cross that we begin to understand everything that he stood for and everything that we um that that he meant when he said I have come O God to do your will as it says in in Hebrews um it's Christ's obedience that fixes our disobedience you know it it repairs the breach that disobedience of Adam is healed by the obedience of Christ. Christ who who prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. This is the the great invitation to us to imitate Christ and to be strengthened by the graces that flow from the sacraments. Um, I love that he ends chapter two here with a prayer, basically. And he, he's going to end the whole encyclical with another prayer. But right here, as he's finished preaching the gospel in chapter two, he says, we too are called to give our lives for our brothers and sisters and thus to realize in the fullness of truth, the meaning and destiny of our existence. So that's a reference to, as you quoted earlier, Deacon, the total gift of self that, that we um, are invited to participate in. He continues, we shall be able to do this because you, O Lord, have given us the example and have bestowed on us the power of your spirit. We shall be able to do this if every day with you and like you, we are obedient to the Father and do his will. Grant, therefore, that we may listen with open and generous hearts to every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Thus, we shall learn not only to obey the commandment not to kill human life, but also to revere life, to love it, and to foster it. That's the prayer of Pope John Paul II, Pope Saint John Paul II, for us and for everyone who reads this document, Evangelium Vitae, everyone who prays and reflects upon the great dignity of human life. This is the gift that we have all received, and our commandment is not only not to kill, but to revere, to love, and to foster life. And so that's beautiful. We've reached the end of our time to get, you know, tonight together, but we will pick up our conversation with the beginning of chapter three next week. You can uh, always connect with us. We've had a lot of people connect with us on Facebook lately. And so we invite you to uh, just type in Living Stones Media into your Facebook search box and request to join our little group. We post links and things like that. Um, you can also download previous episodes of the show at moderndayradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and protect you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.